Dead. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. And uh, yeah, another week, no cold open. I am in a creative rut, right? Mentally great. Busy, but just not not really um, gonna, just, I, you know, just not really f- coming up with something to start the show with. It's just easier to do this. All right. So I don't know, man. Uh, this may be a pretty short episode because I might just fly through this. Uh, looking at three uh, strange war stories um, and uh, going to look at the uh, stories of the Battle of Nishapur. We're going to look at the story of Khan Janabeg and we are going to look at the Great Wyndham Frog Fight. So let's jump into it. We start in the year 1222, uh, where Genghis Khan has basically marched his Mongol horde across Asia and is now sending out his children, all like 8 million of them, I guess, uh, out to terrorize the Middle East. And so Nishapur was this massive Persian city in what is now modern day Iran. And it was next on Genghis Khan's list of places to conquer. And his typical plan when he conquered a city was to basically just go in, execute all of its leaders, spare the lives of the common people, and then impregnate any able, any able-bodied female that he could find. Um, and, and this is how, this is how you get the, uh, sort of idea that everyone is somehow related to Genghis Khan. It's not the, it's not really that true. Um, the, the number is actually only like, um, 0.5%, which I mean, it's still like 16 million people. Don't get me wrong. Um, and that's a ton of people that can trace their lineage back to Genghis Khan, but it's not, it's not like any, any bigger than other, you know, predominantly notable world rulers. I mean, you know, a lot of people can trace their lineage back to certain, um, other patriarchs uh, and such. And so, um, still, still impressive, great strategy for him. Cause it just, I mean, he walks into a city and now he's just got a lot of banging to do, but Nishapur, however, things went a little bit differently. Uh, Khan's favorite son-in-law, Tokuchar, was shot and killed with an arrow from uh, Anisha Purin. His daughter, who apparently inherited the same ruthless outlook as her father, then ordered every single person in the city killed as punishment because this was her husband. It was Khan's uh, son-in-law, but his daughter, you know, obviously was married to his daughter. Um, Now, you might be thinking, well, I mean, it's a city in the 1200s, probably just a few thousand people at best, you know, because, you know, world population. But uh, Nishapur actually, uh, according to historians, had a population of over 1.7 million people, which by comparison, that is larger than the current population of cities like Montreal, Barcelona, Philadelphia and Phoenix. And these are all I mean, those are all huge cities. And Nishapur was bigger than all of these. So, uh, Tolui, uh, uh, Genghis Khan's youngest son, 
then uh, was commanded by his uh, sister and angry daughter of Khan who just had her husband murdered. Um, and he marched his army into Nishapur where the Mongols proceeded to just slaughter every single man, woman, child, cat, dog, gerbil, lizard, bird, insect, whatever they got there. Everything murdered. Um, but Khan's daughter was not just content on being told that everyone had been killed. She wanted proof. She wanted to know for sure that everyone had died. So she commanded Tolui to decapitate every single person and construct pyramids out of their skulls, which is super metal. That's hardcore. Um, you know, you talk about, we talk about um, Count Dracula. No. Yeah. Right? I think. Am I thinking of someone else? No. Maybe. The dude in Romania who put heads on stakes in the forest. That guy. That's Count Dracula. Right? My brain is saying no. And now I... God, now I don't know. Maybe somebody's yelling at me right now in their car. And they're either saying, yes, you idiot, now move on. Or they're yelling out the actual name of the person and I'm an idiot. Anyway, um, back to the story in 10 days, 1.7 million people got executed. And some, uh, some historians suggest, um, that number, however, was only 17,400 cause you know, decimals and stuff are hard, but, uh, in either case, like whether it's 17,000 or 1.7 million, that's a lot of people. And that's a lot of, of human skull pyramids, piled high into the desert air and that's and that's one battle one war story that just doesn't get talked about enough um so uh speaking of genghis khan um a later descendant uh, of genghis uh in the 1300s um where the mongol horde they're still just invading everywhere and laying waste to it and by 1343 they had conquered a lot of central asia and eastern europe and came to the heavily fortified city of Kaffa in modern-day Turkey on the coast of the Black Sea. Khan Janabeg, who's leader of the Golden Horde at the time here, they laid siege to the city for almost a full year, but the Mongols were never able to make much progress in, in breaking in. So in February 1344, the Golden Horde was forced to retreat after an Italian relief force killed 15,000 Mongols and destroyed all of their equipment. But obviously, like, the Mongols were not just the type to give up. And so the next year, uh, Khan Janabeg renewed the siege, but again, was unable to gain advantage over Kaffa. But rather than dealing with pesky Italians and Turks, you know, vigorously defending their home, uh, there, was a, there was a different problem going on. Janabeg's army was too busy dying from a mysterious disease that we now affectionately, affectionately refer to as the Black Death. And so, running out of options, Janabeg decided that his army couldn't just keep all of those pus-filled tumors and blood vomit to themselves. So that's when Janabeg literally invented biological warfare by loading piles of his dead, infected soldiers onto catapults and launching them into the city of Kaffa. And... 
Uh, the residents of Kaffa likely horrified by this sudden shower of diseased cadavers landing on their doorstep, fled the city, which ultimately allowed Janabek to come in and conquer it. But obviously that's not where the story is going to end. Um, the Black Death, which had now been brought into Europe by the Mongols and other Asian merchants, continued to spread throughout the continent through primitive and unclean living conditions that most Europeans enjoyed, such as, you know, coexisting with rats and fleas and all that kind of stuff. And um, another, you know, another sort of contributor to this that often gets kind of um, more headlines, I guess, is 100 years prior to Jonapeg's siege of Kaffa, uh, Pope Gregory IX issued the Vox in Rama, which among other silly things, demonized black cats as satanic objects. And because most Europeans during this time were pretty stupid, uh, they decided to murder every single black cat they came across because that was obviously the only way to rid the world of the devil, you guys. And so this drastically cut the European cat population, which allowed rats to breed and increase their numbers so that when... Uh, Khan Janabeg brought the Black Death over and all of these rats were getting infested and they were passing the disease around. That ultimately facilitated the spread of the Black Death. Isn't that right, Salem, who is a black kitty who had some of his ancestors murdered? Because <sighs> Christians, pretty stupid sometimes, especially in the Middle Ages of Europe. Um, our last story here. I told you this is going to be a short episode. Um, still getting three stories. I think you're getting your money's worth. All of the money that you're paying to listen to this show, um, which is nothing. Uh, in the middle of the summer in 1754 uh, in Wyndham, Connecticut, things were not going particularly well. Uh, the French and Indian War had begun one month earlier, and a severe drought was decimating the local crops in Connecticut. And then... In the middle of a humid June night, the residents of Wyndham awoke to a mysterious and terrifying sound. Uh, people sprang up from their beds. Uh, some people were thinking it was a group of Indians on the attack. Some thought it was Judgment Day, which that that was quickly dispelled by an old black man who logically reasoned that it couldn't be the apocalypse because it was nighttime and the end times obviously only happened during the daylight. You guys, guys, Jesus Jesus is only going to come back during the daytime when everybody can see. Now, I know that that's problematic for the other half of the world where it's dark. But in America, because America, uh, Jesus's return is going to come during the daytime because Jesus is going to come back in America because America is God's new chosen land and Americans are God's new chosen people. All right. Don't get it twisted. All right. The Jews they had their chance, all right? They ignored all of the prophecies that were clearly laid out and very obvious because why would why would an entire culture not know their own book? But this new group of people who literally just found out about it, they've got the answers. Anyway, they they had their chance. Jews rejected Jesus, and now we're going to take the opinions of one guy Paul and apply it to the entire religion. All right. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, then we're going to kind of twist it kind of along the way. Uh, cause Martin Luther, uh, you know, saved us from the dirty corrupt Catholics 
All right. Even though uh, the Apostle Peter, Jesus' disciple, he was the first pope of the Christian church. It doesn't matter because uh, the devil got into the Catholic church some along the way and um, then got corrupt. And so then we needed a new, new covenant. And so then Martin Luther and then John Calvin and then all the Baptist peoples and all of that. And now we are God's chosen people. We are the new Jews for, uh, if you want to be real blunt and slightly offensive about it. And Jesus blesses the United States, all of it, except for, um, most of the impoverished areas and all of the, the kids dealing with hunger and all of the people living below the poverty line, they just need to work harder. It's not that God isn't blessing them. They just don't have good work ethic. All right. God has blessed the United States of America. And <laughs> I'm, I, I, this has gone off, but let me finish this thought. Um, God has blessed the United States. Obviously then, uh, when he comes back, he's not going to come back in Jerusalem. No, he's going to come back in the United States. Where in the United States? Who knows? Probably Texas. Duh, right? You got to come back in Texas. So it wasn't back to the original point. Uh, some of you, I, I know that there are people out there who are like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I totally agree. Jesus, Christians, we, us chosen people them jews them jews they didn't get it right they had their chance i mean they'll go to heaven they'll still all go to heaven automatically they get the automatic bid uh they get the first round by because they were still they're still god's chosen people we get that we'll be there with them with their little 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 hats and their their funny diets and their pickles and such but we get the barbecue all right, they can take the pastrami. That stuff's gross. Jesus gonna come back, probably just outside Dallas Fort Worth, and we're all gonna live with him forever, except for the Catholics and the Muslims. Even though uh, we all use the same Bible, those Mormons they ain't got it right either. Uh, definitely all them uh, Hindus and Sheiks and Buddhists they're they're going to hell. God, Jesus, Jesus Christ, coming back in Texas, all right, during the daytime, so we can all see it, all right? It's in the Bible, probably somewhere. Anyway, I realize that was a very long tangent, and I apologize for that, but that's the same sort of logic, all right? People freaking out in Wyndham, Connecticut. We've got to reset here. 1754, it's the middle of the night. People are freaking out because there's a weird sound. Um, town attor- uh, attorney... Eliph- Eliph- what is this name? Eliphalet. Sure. Eliphalet Dyer uh, quickly readied the town's militia to defend the village from uh, these mysterious attackers that no one could see because it's dark out. There's no electricity. You can't see anything. And within minutes, the Wyndham militia was lined up on the banks of a pond owned by Dyer when the noise, where the noise was the loudest. And they were ready for a fight. And for the rest of the night, dozens of militiamen fired their muskets into the darkness. Uh, by morning, the sound had quieted down and the militia figured they had won by just randomly shooting their guns into the darkness. But as the sunlight illuminated the area, the townspeople saw nothing but hundreds of bullfrog corpses littering the battlefield. 
And because of the severe drought, Dyer's Pond had nearly dried up, which left just a small puddle in the middle. And during the night, these bullfrogs had showed up and started fighting over it, sending their screams and bellows echoing through the night air, which then ultimately fooled the village into thinking it was something more. And that is the end of today's story. guys i am so sorry it was vlad the impaler (laughs) how stupid am i i know i just lost so much credibility there because i'm sitting there like it was the guy who impaled all the heads on the stakes probably because it was vlad the impaler it wasn't count dracula like he was around there somewhere but like duh He is the inspiration for Count Dracula. Guys, I am so sorry. Here's, and here's how you know this is genuine. I could have re-recorded this whole thing you'd have never known. But I'm, I'm being vulnerable right now for being stupid. All right? I had it right. I was technically right. Because Vlad the Impaler became the inspiration for Count Dracula. He is known as the real life Count Dracula. But... There was no, like, real Count Dracula. It was Vlad the Impaler, and he did the heads on the stakes. Anyway, what a what a journey around our elbow to get to our butthole that was. All right? What are we doing? Uh, we got to see what we learned. That's it. What did we learn? Number one, the Battle of Nishapur, whether it was 1.7 million people or 17,000 people, resulted in lots of pyramids made out of human skulls because somebody uh, got real angry that their husband got killed and just ordered the entire town to get murdered. And they did. And then there were pyramids of human skulls, and that's pretty hardcore. All right. Uh, n- number two, Khan Janabek invented biological warfare by catapulting uh, corpses infected with uh, the Black Death into a city and ultimately contributing to the spread of the disease throughout Europe. Uh, and also because there were no cats or very few cats to eat all the rats. Right. Uh, and then number three, the villagers of Wyndham, Connecticut, Thought they were being attacked, and in reality, they just murdered a bunch of angry bullfrogs. Next week on Our Weird World, we go back to serial killer land with stories of three female serial killers. Um, not a lot of female serial killers for some reason, which is strange. Like, because we often, we often paint women as being very emotional, but I guess it's because their emotion is just sad, right? Versus dudes, when dudes, like dudes aren't seen as emotional, but when they get emotional, they just get real violent and angry, Which ultimately, like, you're going to kill more people angry than you are sad, I think. Anyway, um, so we're going to look at uh, three women uh, who did a lot of killing. We'll look at the stories of Jane Toppin, 
Amy Archer Gilligan and Eileen Warnos. That's going to happen next week. And that's going to do it for this week. I'm sorry I got Vlad the Impaler semi-confused. I was still mostly right, though, you guys. Like, like, like I still, like, I had it right. I just got, I just couldn't think of the actual name. So, anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, keep telling all your friends. And keep it weird.